Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hmm. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Good morning. All right. So, have a few announcements for us. Uh, not anything too, uh, nothing too new. A lot of the uh, same weekly scheduled things that we have going on. Let you know about. Um, first of all, after the. Uh, our meeting today, we have a fellowship meal prepared to us by uh, Bob and Julie Bush. You can thank them. It should be good stuff. So stay around, fellowship. Uh, we're excited for that. Uh, we have our regular Wednesday activities, touch point at 9 a.m. Uh, Pastor Steve and Joyce, of course. Uh, we have Amplify Youth Group that are meeting at 6 p.m. and also TCC Kids. Uh, as always, fun and games, crafts, all sorts of good things come. Uh, we're always looking for new people, new faces. If you haven't been there before, check it out. Um, one newer announcement here, it looks like we're looking for someone with IT experience to help uh, with the church computers. If you're interested or know anyone who might be interested, please talk to Andrew Erholtz or one of the deacons. So this morning, I uh, have a a bit of a confession to make to you. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, there was an announcement made about a, uh, an event that was going to happen with our, our, our TCC youth. Uh, it was called a, it's called a roundabout. It was uh, going to involve uh, several of our True Bridge churches working together. Uh, we're going to take all these kids and they were going to bring them to all these different places. Uh, they were going to go, they were going to start here with worship and then go to the bowling alley in Bemidji and then drive to Faustin for a midnight movie and then go to Bagley, we're not done yet, then go to Bagley for hours and hours of high intense energy games and then of course, you know, you end with another trip to, uh, to Clearbrook for uh, more worship and then of course breakfast, right? An all night affair, uh, teenagers going wild, all that good stuff. And I was, that Sunday that announcement was made, me and my wife were speaking, and I made a few comments uh, about what I thought about that type of event. I said something along the lines of, well, I'm, well, I'm glad I, I don't have to, have to supervise that, right? Well, I have to uh, humbly eat my words this morning because I, I did attend this event. <laughs> uh, I spent the night with the teens, and I'm, and I'm glad that I did. It was a, a wonderful event, it went, Beautifully, we had 50, I mean, it's hard to imagine, but 50 plus kids up in this room. It was, uh, you, it was very different, but a lot of energy. <laughs> Not that we don't have energy on Sunday morning here, of course. There's lots of youth here, but uh, youthfulness in our hearts, right? But <laughs> uh, young people running around this church, worshiping Jesus, uh, and it was, uh, maybe that doesn't sound exciting to you, maybe that sounds kind of terrifying, um, but I... <laughs> Uh, I'd like to and just encourage you, this was a, these, this group of kids, uh, if you'd meet these people who are from this area, not just from Ten Strike Church, but from all these different churches in our True Bridge connections, many kids who have their hearts on fire for God, who are looking to worship Him. Uh, there wasn't any, from what I could see, supervising the night, any attempts to uh, use this type of event to get away with something they shouldn't have been. They were, they were in it to, for the fun. They were having fun, and they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, and it was just, just a wonderful group of kids. So uh, I was glad I attended. It was wonderful to see. Uh, 
You can see that our kids here maybe, maybe look a little tired. That's maybe why. <laughs> Staying up all night. But anyway, uh, and to go with that, we're talking about, uh, I'm up here to talk about our tithes and offerings as well. A reminder that we have the boxes in the back. And speaking of the youth group is a good opportunity to also plug our, you might have noticed, a thermometer, right? That There's a big poster with a thermometer in the foyer. That's for our youth room. We're looking to uh, raise about $2,000 to uh, update it, right? It's been about 20 years. Uh, if you haven't been up there in a while, you know, it's been there for 20 years, maybe you haven't been there in a while, I invite you to go up maybe this Sunday, take a look around, and maybe get a vision for yourself, what, why we're, we're saying it's about time for an update, right? Uh, so feel free to also, you know, put a few dollars in that, go towards that. We're, uh, we're got, we have a good start, you can see the thermometer's already starting to rise, but we want to see it go all the way up. So be thinking about that. So this morning, in thinking about our giving. Uh, I've been thinking about this, this new year, and uh, we've decided that we're going to be kind of sharing the responsibilities, me and Andrew, maybe some others, of talking about our tithes and offerings this year. And so I was asking the Lord about maybe some kind of theme, something to kind of hit on uh, as I come up here week after week. And uh, the word that came to my mind was the word feast, <laughs> uh, which is a, a big theme in the Bible. If you read through the Bible, there's lots of feasts and eating. Um, so this morning, I'd like to think about the, what I think of as the first feast of the Bible. Uh, if you turn in your Bible sometime, maybe not, you don't have to right now, but sometime, uh, go read Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, we start uh, with a problem. There's a conflict. Uh, the conflict is, is that God has created the world but it is a barren, arid, deserty-like wasteland. There's nothing growing. There's nothing alive. It's not a great situation. It's not a great place if you're trying to start the human race, if it's all barren and dead. Um, so God does something about it. And I, and I think it's a really interesting uh, depiction of our God that we don't always maybe imagine him as. Uh, it says what he does is he goes and he, with his own hands, plants a garden. <laughs> Uh, it depicts God as this, as a gardener, as a farmer, as someone who wants to get his hands dirty and work the soil and to make something grow from what was once dead. Uh, and then he does something else that's interesting. Uh, sometimes we think of the, gar the, uh, the Garden of Eden story as the place where God creates mankind, but it doesn't actually say that. What it says, what he does is he creates mankind out of the dust but what he does is he creates him outside the garden, in that dead, deserty wasteland, and he picks him up and he takes him to the garden and he plants the man, just like he planted all that life and goodness. And then out of the midst of that garden, he, he creates a tree, a tree he calls of life. And he says he gives all of that to mankind, all that fruit, all that wonder, all that feast of life. And in the midst of it is a tree called a tree of life. Now, uh, throughout history, uh, humans have long searched <laughs> for that tree of life and that garden of Eden. They've spent their lives looking for this fabled place somewhere out in the Middle East, right, where they're going to find this tree of life. And maybe some of us today have felt that life is like an arid, deserty, dead 
kind of place where you have to go out searching desperately for that tree of life, some little thing to hold on to. And maybe we've heard that snaky, slithery voice that comes up to us and whispers, oh, those are just stories. It's really, the truth is, God isn't really like that. He's not the type of God who would get his hands dirty in the affairs of man. God's not really the type of God who would give away goodness. He only gives those types of things to certain types of people, but not to people like you or me, right? And so I would uh, challenge us this year as we're thinking about what type of God we serve, uh, not to listen to those voices, those naysayers, not to look out at our situation in our world, uh, but to instead uh, be looking for the gardener God who plants the feast around us, the one who takes us up and brings us to the place we're supposed to be. Um, so I'd just like to offer ourselves up in prayer this morning. Jesus, um, wherever we're at, maybe we feel like we already are in the midst of your garden, but maybe we feel like we're, we're not, that that seems like a distant, far away, dreamy-like place. And I ask that you would open our eyes this year, open our eyes to the feasts that you're already preparing around us, to the things that you're making grow right before our eyes. You are a God who makes life out of dead places, and you can make life even in the deadest of hearts. So Jesus, we pray that things would spring up, spring up, Jesus, even on the cold 25 below day, things can still spring up, life and warmth and goodness, because you, are good, and you are the bringer of that life. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Peter mentioned uh, the youth area upstairs, and uh, I'd just like to encourage all of us to ask the Lord how much Joyce and I have done that. Lord, it's an opportunity to give Concerning the youth and the re renewal upstairs, the, what do you call it, remodeling or doing things that I didn't realize it had been 20 years, but it has. And so I hear that we're like a quarter of the way already, is that right? Is that right? A quarter of the way? So that's going to go quickly, I believe, very quickly. And also one other thing I was going to share. Um, we just love our meals, right? Yeah. Uh, many people do anyway. They stay for meals. Or, uh, it's an opportunity for fellowship. What time of fellowship it is there every week. And we have people that have been such a blessing, for some for many years, who have, they prepare meals for us. What we'd like to have is where when they're done serving, that they can just go and sit down and eat or whatever they want to do so that we can have others that will help with cleanup and stuff. And we've been having a lot of that. There are a lot of people, I'm told, in NYC that, that help with that. But what we need to do is get a schedule and have people commit to putting their name down on a schedule. And I know that's not easy, but like I'm going to do that. I'm telling you now, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my name on there. <clears throat> I, I really enjoy helping in the kitchen. There's a fellowship there, too, when you go in there. And those of you that worked in there, I think you probably know what I'm talking about. 
The thing is, it's hard for us, and I know you, to commit to a day. The thing is, you can switch. That's what we do with our worship teams. You know, we make a schedule for three months or whatever, and if somebody asks to switch, they switch. But if there's nobody to switch with, then you can't switch. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so that's what we're doing. We're getting a schedule, people to help with cleanup and stuff. Um, so that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm not sure just how how they're gonna we sign up. How do we sign up? Adam, do you want to come on up? Excuse me, I, I'm going to have it. Sign up for it. Um, we're going to pass that around next Sunday. Okay. So it's not like, it's not like, you know, sign up for the kitchen duty, we're going to put you on dishes for the rest of your life. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. there are certain areas that we have that are needs, and so Carla has put together some sign-up sheets for that, and I think we're going to pass it around next week. It's just been such a blessing for me. Adam, you can go ahead and get set up here. Um just to see how this church family is rising up and taking places. And I look all across the congregation here and seeing that, of uh, people taking places and wow, what a difference that makes. Just, I'm just so thankful for the family atmosphere that I sense and uh, each taking their part. I remember my siblings, they remember when we were growing up. I'm not sure Julie got in that or not. She was, you know, Julie is 16 years younger than me, you know. You probably didn't know that. A lot of times they think I'm her father, you know. <laughs> if we're together downtown or something, was this your dad, <laughs> you know. But anyway, we, we did. We had our folks for after the meal, we all, we took turns wash, uh, clearing the table, washing, drying the dishes and putting them away. You know, I mean, we had a chart. Remember? Yeah, we remember. Hallelujah. And we're so thankful for the gifts that are in the church. Like that, Michelle is a gift. I could tell right away there's that gift of playing music. It's by ear. But uh, we have gifts of teaching and really apostolic teaching too here that we're getting from Adam and Vicki. And so Adam, God's anointing on you as you share and God's anointing on us as we receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Glad to be here with you all. Honestly, there's so many times during a, a Sunday morning worship time, I wish that I could take the atmosphere of praise and worship and just like put it in something to take it with me. <laughs> and then the Lord reminds me, um, I'm there. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> but I was thinking that this morning, and uh, uh, I got to tell you, Zach and Abby, I know it's wonderful to have other people singing with you, but you guys don't need anybody else singing with you. You guys are like, that is just so beautiful. You two together, I love it. <laughs> uh, so uh, Colossians 2.17 tells us that reality is found in Christ. And so if we pursue Christ, we pursue reality. 
However, if we don't pursue Christ, following this same line of logic, if we don't pursue Christ, we are going, we're headed into unreality. And if we continue into unreality, we're on the path of being anti-Christ, against Christ. And so it's a good thing for us to know, uh, to know Christ, to know who he is, because that leads us into reality. Um, Vicky and I work in a part of the world where people are regularly taught against all the claims of Christ. Uh, they're taught he did not, he's not the son of God. He didn't raise from the dead. He's not all these things that the Bible says he is. And, and when, when the true identity of Jesus is denied, a spirit of unreality and antichrist is the result. So, Let's take some time today to look at the true identity of Jesus. It's become a big thing on my heart to when, when we're in that context overseas to be able to declare the true identity of Jesus as stated in the word of God. So the scripture I'd like to use today, um, it makes clear some amazing truths about, about Jesus. Some of them are ones that we're quite familiar with but others are ones that are, are deeper that we don't spend a lot of time thinking about. And I'd like to look at some of those today. Let's spend some day today, time today looking at Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Though parts of uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians was written to address a, a particular heresy in the Colossian church. But I'm not going to spend time focusing on heresy today. We're going to spend time focusing on truth uh, because after all, that's how you combat a lie. If you don't know the truth, you're helpless against a lie. Uh, so this passage starts out um, using the word he. And if you read the verses immediately preceding this, it makes it clear that this he is talking about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So I'd like to read this, the, the whole passage to you, um, from beginning to end. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, I'm actually going to go and read through that whole thing again, so we can go back to the first slide again. But I want to, I want, as we go through at this time, pay attention to the alls in here. This is a very comprehensive statements that are being made here, and, uh, and they encompass a lot. So look at all the alls. Let's emphasize those. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, 
all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in all things he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I could just about finish right there. <laughs> I mean, that is just so comprehensive describing who Jesus is. Uh, the, the, the section heading in my Bible on this section of verses says the supremacy of Christ. And can you see why? This is amazing. So let's go through this line by line and see what we can pull out of it. So back to that first slide, Colossians 1.15 he, he's talking about Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. Now let's look at the word is. Um, this was written around A.D. 60, right? So about 27 to 30 years after Christ ascended into heaven. And yet it's written in the present tense. He is. He is the image of the invisible God. Not he was. Not he will be someday, but he is, okay? And that is true today. He is alive. Jesus is the image of the invisible God right now. Um, what does it mean to be an image of something? The, the original text <clears throat> in, the, in the Greek, that word image is the word icon. We use it a lot today. Uh, it means to be like or a representation. And when you look at your phone or on your computer, just about everything we use has got an icon, right? And that icon represents everything that that particular app or program does. So when you want to go to, the, uh, to that app, you go to the icon. It gives you access to what's there. Uh, so when we want to go to the app, we go to the icon. Uh, similarly, when we want to go to the Father, we go to Jesus. Jesus is the image, the icon of God, the Father. Um, so this tells us if we want to know what God, the, it states here the invisible God, if we want to know what he is like, we can look at Jesus um, there's a uh, couple other scriptures that point out this same thing. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And the same, the same verse from the Amplified says, The sun is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being, the brilliant light of the divine, and the exact representation and perfect imprint of his Father's essence. 
And then 2 Corinthians 4.4 points out again, Christ is the image of God. So this is very solid here. Christ is the image of God. I remember when, when I was a kid, there was a movie, uh, and it was already old when I was a kid, so that tells you how old it is now. Um, it was about an invisible man, and nobody could see this guy, but when he wanted to reveal himself to people, he, could, he would wrap himself in something, you know, kind of looked like a mummy, sort of. He would wrap himself up. So then he revealed himself to the people around him. And it strikes me that that's a little bit like, maybe not the best analogy, but it's a little bit like the invisible God revealing himself to us by wrapping the Son in flesh. Um, we can see God the Father when we look at Jesus. Now, here is a beautiful pattern and something for us to take hope in, okay? Just like Jesus is the image of the Father, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we, the followers of Jesus, says we are being transformed into Christ's image. And that word image is the exact same word, icon, that it uses for Jesus representing God. So this is, uh, I mean, that's hugely encouraging to me that just as Jesus shows the image of the Father, we, as his followers, are being transformed into the image of the Son. That's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to consider and live out. So the, verse, the text continues, verse 15, says he's the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So the firstborn of all creation, the son didn't just begin to exist when he was born in Bethlehem. He was there at the beginning, before creation, and not just there, but a crucial and inextricable part of the whole creation process. John 1.3 emphasizes this. In the Amplified, it says, All things were made and came into existence through him. And without him, not even one thing was made that has come into being. So Christ existed before the creation of the world, and nothing was made without him. The verse continues, Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities... All things were created by him and for him. This doesn't leave anything out. <laughs> all things, uh, including all of these different levels of, of uh, principalities and powers, whether physical or spiritual. Uh, all of them, everything belongs to Jesus. You and all that you see and all that you don't see, you belong in, to Christ, and you were created for him. Uh, if we were created for Christ, let's live for Christ. It, to, I would take comfort in that. I think it's a beautiful thing that we were created for Christ. Anybody who's asked yourself the question, what am I here for? What's the purpose of my life? <laughs> Here it is. You were created by him and for him. 
And so take joy in that. You were created for him. Uh, it, it's no wonder that we're miserable creatures when we're not living for Christ, right? Because if we're not, li- if we're not living for Christ, we are not fulfilling our, our intent, what we're created for. And that's frustrating. The verse continues, verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This word before, uh, it means in front of, prior to, or superior to. So not only have we seen before that chronologically Christ came before all things, but here it's stating he's before in the sense of he is superior to all things. He's in front of all things. And uh, in him all things hold together. I'd like to to read the Amplified for that. It says, His is the controlling, cohesive force of the universe. So without him, without Christ, without the Son, everything would fall apart. I mean, he's the, he is the one that holds everything together. This, this bottle of water here, the water wouldn't be in the bottle it would fall apart. And furthermore, there would probably be no bottle and there would be no water. <laughs> um, so it's like, I, I don't know how else to, to describe that, but he's the cohesive force, holds everything together by the power of his word. If Christ didn't exist, neither would all of this. Uh, verse 18 carries on. He is the head of the body, the church. Now, this is curious to me. It's really interesting. Look, pay attention to uh, the context of this conversation into which the church is being inserted, okay? You've got the creation of all things, Heaven, earth, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things being held together by him. All these cosmic concepts. Next topic, church. Do you think maybe we sometimes think a little too small about the church's role in creation? (laughs) I think so. The church has to rank pretty high to get in this list of things. Um, Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. We're the body. The, the, the followers of Christ are the body of Christ. And we carry out the instructions of the head here on earth. We're literally the hands and feet uh, in the body, carrying out the plans and the thoughts of the head. So if I'm thirsty, my head... I can think in my head, I want, I want some of this water. And I can think that as hard as I want and as often as I want, but unless my hand cooperates and goes and picks up the bottle and opens it and drink, I drink, I, it's not going to happen, right? Um, the body has to follow the instructions of the head in order for things to function properly. 
Now, this analogy is not a perfect one when it comes to God because God truly does not need us. He is self-sufficient. But he has graciously chosen to partner with us and to make us his body, to make us his hands and feet. And he takes pleasure in us being his earthly body through whom he works. So he's the head of the body. Uh, this body that we're part of, this gathering of saints, this, this family of redeemed, it gets its life and its power directly from the head. It's not like we just get a little burst here and there. We get like a, a rescue packet sent to us every once in a while if we pray hard enough. It's directly there. Our life source is directly from the head. That's where our life is. And <clears throat> I want to ask you the question, how does a body act when it doesn't have a head? Uh, what does a body do when there's no head? It's not a very pleasant image to think about, right? Um, let's not, let's not allow... <laughs> the body to become disconnected from the head. Uh, A body without a head is completely useless and completely dead. And just as as a, a physical body without a head is useless and dead, so also a spiritual body, a body of Christ without its head is useless and dead. Let's never let that happen. The verse continues... He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This firstborn from among the dead, what what does that mean? Well, Jesus was crucified and he was dead, and he had to die and rise again so that not only just in theory he would have the supremacy, But in actual real-life experience, he accomplished that. He defeated death. Death has no mastery over him, no hold over him. And so that that everything includes even death. Uh, He has the supremacy over death. That word supremacy means to be first in rank or influence, preeminence. And I would like to remind you, This is the one that lives in you. I mean, that's shocking (laughs) when you think about the reality of the one who who dwells in you, who you have invited in because he is providing you salvation. This is the one. Praise God. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Uh, In the next chapter of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 9, it says, For in him, in, in the Son, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus wasn't just a little piece of God. Um, the Amplified for that same scripture says, In him all the fullness of the deity, the Godhead, dwells in bodily form completely expressing the divine essence of God. Uh, Moving into the final section here, verse 20. 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Uh, on the way here this morning, uh, as we were driving up from Bemidji, I was looking at the trees around me, and it reminded me that uh, many years ago, on this same journey, when our, our boys were small, uh, we had something we called the church tree. And it was south of here a little bit. Uh, so you know how kids, when they're young, they always want to know how far is it where we're going. And there was this one tree that stood up taller than the rest out in the woods. And at that time, it was easy to identify. And it was right before we could, we could see the church. And so that was kind of our reference point. You know, we would see the church tree. So there's the church tree. We're almost there. <laughs> um, I would like to declare to you this morning a church tree. This is a sign of something to come, and it's not far ahead of us, okay? This section. This is, the, this is one of those verses in the Bible that gives me great hope in the face of a world that's gone crazy, in the face of a world that is uh, endemic with evil. Uh, everything has gone astray from the original intent of the Father because of the entrance of sin into the world. And, you know, the, the, the Bible says that creation has suffered so much under the strain of sin that even creation itself groans. Um, Sin has given birth to, to all manner of sickness and disease so that after all these generations we've had, it's wormed its way into plants, into animals, into our bodies, into our minds. Uh, it's even messed with our, with our DNA so that we pass on imperfections to those who come after us. None of this was God's original intent. But all of this... Through Jesus, God is reconciling to himself. This is, this is powerful. What is reconciling? Um, the way this word is used, it means to reconcile completely, to call back into union, and to bring back to a former state of harmony. So when it says to reconcile to himself all things, this goes way beyond just our, the personal salvation of our souls. This is something far bigger, far grander. Uh, it's, it's to the point where at the end of all things, there will be nothing that is not reconciled to God. And that's not to say that this reconciling of all things is going to be nice for people or things that remain in rebellion to God. Uh, remember that if there's not reconciliation, there is a reckoning. And if you don't accept the, the, and walk in that salvation that is offered to you as a free gift to be reconciled to God, then you, you are at risk of being reckoned as one in rebellion to God and suffering the consequences of that. Um, so there's another analogy we can use for this. Uh, many years ago, I worked for a local co-op here, and 
every, uh, every year we would send out a capital credit check. And thousands and thousands and thousands of customers, meaning thousands and thousands and thousands of checks. Um, anybody here struggle to balance your bank statement every month? You know? <laughs> if that's a struggle, imagine what it was like when you just sent out 30,000 checks. <laughs> well, that was my job. <laughs> I was the guy who got all those checks and that bank statement and had to figure out, okay, did this guy cash his check? Did that person passed away last year? Now, how do we handle that? And this is, it, it, gets, it can get complicated. But anyway, at the end of the month, I had to know the status of it. I had to know the status of the, bank's, the bank account versus what our records said. And uh, so let's look at this, this reconciling in accounting terms, okay? Because it actually makes sense. You have two columns. We have that picture, that, uh, that graphic. So this is one I found on the internet. It's not exactly what I wanted, but it gives you the idea. There's the two columns up there, okay? On the one side, you have your own records, and on the other side, you have the bank records. And say that, that uh, your records say that you have $80, and the bank record says you have $100. Well, that doesn't match. There's something not right there. Uh, something doesn't agree. And so an adjustment needs to be made on one side or the other for those two columns to not be in conflict with each other. They need to agree. And so probably you spent $20 on something that, that happened after the bank statement you know, was, was in the mail or something. Um, so you make an adjustment in your ledger that's, that says there's an outstanding debit for $20, and I know what that is, and next month when you get your bank statement, that, that will be on that bank statement, that $20, and your accounts will agree. They, they are then reconciled. Okay, they're not in conflict with each other. So let's translate that into our spiritual condition. On one side of the spiritual ledger, we have God. Perfection, supremacy, sinlessness. On the other side is us. <laughs> From the second we're born, that side of the ledger is messed up, and it's in red ink, and it's below zero. Um, it, we fall short of the glory of God. And in ourselves, there's nothing that we can do to, to fix that. There's nothing we can do to reconcile our side of the ledger with God's. Uh, we are in disagreement with God. We can't match the perfection, and we're not in harmony. But Jesus, and here's this scripture again, reconciling to him, reconciling to God all things, made peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus makes that necessary adjusting entry by the blood of Jesus onto the ledger. That, that humanly uncorrectable situation is taken care of by him, by his sacrifice for us. And if we accept this adjustment that's made on our behalf, it brings us back into harmony, back into reconciliation with God. Our accounts with him 
are reconciled. They agree. They're not in conflict or war with each other. These, uh, these things are, these debts, our debts are paid by the precious blood of Jesus. Um, I, it, two weeks ago, Rob Salmonson was sharing, and he quoted something that stuck with me. He said, when we repent, the Lord relents. And that fits perfect here, because when we repent, we're returning to a reconciled position with God, and we're no longer in opposition to him. We're no longer being uh, uh, in conflict with him. And so that sense of the Lord relenting is there. So now that we have gone through these five verses about the supremacy of Christ, what I'd like to ask you is, can we go back to the first slide? And could we all read this together? Uh, not just as an exercise of reading some words, but, but declaring out loud and to ourselves who Jesus is. This is the Jesus that we follow. This is, what, this is the, the supremacy that he has. So could we go back to the beginning there? And, uh, and let's read that together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that this debt of sin that we have is canceled, that it's paid through the blood of Jesus, reconciling us to you again. Lord, you've blessed us with an amazing gift, and we accept it. If there's anybody here who has not accepted that gift, I just want to ask you to, um, to do that right now in your hearts. Lord, receive that gift of Jesus. He has paid the debt for you. There's no way you can reconcile it other than accepting the, what he's given to you, what he is giving to you, and you receive it. So, Lord, we also just uh, take with us this reality of the supremacy of Christ in all things. There's no situation that we enter this week in which you are not supreme. There's no, uh, there's no law that's been passed. There's no evil that, that can be committed that uh, you do not have supremacy over and that you have not um, equipped your church to deal with. And so, Father, we accept the role that you've given to us and help us, Lord, to walk in it for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you for sharing that teaching gift with us, Adam. So good, so good. Um, we'll have you stay up here, and uh, we are going to shut off our live stream now. We'll say goodbye to those of you that are on live stream. But uh, Vicki.